Hello and welcome to Attack of the Querwolf. I'm Michael. I'm Brennan. I'm Nay. I'm Sam. (laughs) People had drinks in their mouths. Things going on. Um, Hi, everybody. Hi. This week we are coming at you from the best place to take a nap. (laughs) Shitty chairs in a very uninviting room that's for some reason used for teenage group therapy. (laughs) How's everyone doing today? Good. Yeah. Um, Full disclosure, um, this is the second episode of a double recording, which, as you know, results in some of our most punch-drunk and ridiculous episodes. And Sam, your first day with us officially as a co-host gets two episodes which is incredible incredible we're like, we see we're already punching some of us can speak <laughs> but it's great because it means that if i like really fuck up you guys won't know for like three weeks <laughs> yeah yeah when will this air so today's the uh, two weeks from today so the 23rd so two weeks pressure's on okay, I'll pass, I, can take I mean it. we'll know by the end of this hour <laughs> i thought you did an amazing job leading the carry yeah. The carry two, the rage you, carry two. You carried that episode. Uh, oh. You carried us to the finish line. Duh. Well, the anyway. mail is the carrier. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would have done a carry three just for shits. They did two other carries. If I that know. Counts, just, can you uh, add them into one? <laughs> all right. What's everyone watching, reading, listening to, doing, eating, <laughs> walking towards? What's going on? I just saw a double feature of near dark and jennifer's body <gasps> that changed my life <sighs> um i've seen both of those films before but never seen them on the big screen including jennifer's one, body god so i saw that in theaters and it was i mean in my I, people always talk about jennifer's body not being like a thing in, until now that's wrong yeah if you for a lot of us who are queer or female or both it's been a thing and for me, like the soundtrack was just so killer, and it was so the movie's I, so awesome, and it's so quotable. Like, is he gonna fuck his mom? She's talking about Hamlet. It's like, <laughs> so... have you seen it, May? No, <gasps> I can't I wait. We're doing that with Chelsea, and I can't I wait. And seeing that in a theater, like a packed theater full of people, like Who laughing with and appreciating it? those yeah. jokes, and that, and it, it just. Um, oh wait, no, we're talking about Jennifer's body. I think yeah. yes. the first, yes, I but near okay. dark. What struck yeah. me this time seeing it was just how much at, at its time uh, it was actually it, that how much it reflected what was happening with AIDS and getting sick mm. and and that uh, quote fantasy of flipping and having nothing less mm. left to lose and like and then that whole like reparative kind of narrative mm. of going back. I mean, it, it hit me in a different way than Catherine I'm, Bigelow, right? Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Um, Jennifer's body. We're gonna have Chelsea start us in for that uh, in June I to talk about it. Chelsea. And like, I'm so excited. I saw that movie late. I saw it. I rented it. I remember renting it from. I think Blockbuster was still around in 2009. And I remember renting it and going in thinking I'd hate it because people I know that it's the reason I didn't see it in the theaters because anyone that saw it told me it was trash. And. Sitting in my Studio City apartment, like barely living here for just maybe a few months. I had like no friend. I remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom that had a mattress on the ground. That was all I had and a TV and watching it and fucking losing my shit. And seriously feeling like I think this is the gayest I've ever been in my entire <laughs> life. I'm like living for it. Yeah. So the only you. thing I didn't like about the screening is the line it, "You give me such a wetty didn't get any laughs, and I was like, "Oh, that's <laughs> so good, though, it's so wow. good." 
Um, Brennan, you watching anything? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, um, my boyfriend and I have been watching the miniseries Tales of the City. Um, it's based on the Armistead Maupin uh, novels, which were you know based off a serial mm-hmm. column he wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, it's basically a soap opera set in like you know bohemian seventies San Francisco. Um, it stars Laura Linney as Marion Singleton, mm-hmm. who's Queen. like you know. Iowa chick moving to town and I think it's a like there's it's like the second or third version of yeah yeah the series, um, right yeah Netflix With is her. Netflix is making a new series yeah. um that's coming out in June which is why we've been catching them but there was Tales of the City in 93 and then more Tales of the City and further Tales of the City in 98 and 2001 <laughs> got it okay I thought there was one back in the 70s maybe I guess I'm incorrect no set they're, the they're set in the 70s okay um but have, have any of you seen anything or read any tales of, at all? I've seen some of the old, old, old tales of the city. Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to watch them on like, okay. HBO, like stay up late and like try not to okay. get caught. I but like I don't really, I haven't seen them since then. I feel okay. like the original aired on like PBS, right? The, the original was, I believe, produced by Masterpiece and aired in the US on <laughs> PBS. Yeah. Um, which is Showtime. <laughs> I knew Ernie thought that because Ernie said, <laughs> I was like, produced by Masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Masterpiece. It was part of Masterpiece Theater. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to disappoint. But the thing is, I don't get why more people aren't talking about Tales of the City. Because this came out in 1993. We were in like a pre-Will and Grace world. Mm-hmm. And this is the queerest shit. 93 was when Philadelphia mm. came out. Yeah. I'm, put it in context. Yeah, but like literally, I mean, this is a spoiler for the first season, it's but it's not important. But like one of the main characters is an like over 60 trans woman. And the way that they handle her character is incredible. She's first of all the best character in the show. Um, second of all, in the second season, there's like a whole conversation about pronouns and there's just all of this stuff oh. that is pulled from conversations that I feel like we've been having more recently, but this is happening in the early to mid nineties. That's great. And obviously it caused a huge uproar in mm-hmm. the Christian community for the first season, which is why the next two seasons moved to Showtime. What? But They're so chill normally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's outstandingly queer and i really look it gets crazy pants like in terms of the uh (laughs) like the soap opera plotting of it because the first season is very much like a i I won't say gritty but like realistic just kind of like low-key this is what life is like and we're just gonna you know hang out with these characters and season two is just bug nuts um and season three just literally okay i'll drop a Pre-spoiler plot point from season two. <laughs> on a on a cruise, uh, Laura Linney's character cruise. meets a super handsome straight man who does not remember the three or four years that he's lived in San Francisco because he has amnesia. And all that they know is that he throws up whenever they see roses. And they are trying to, like, solve the mystery. <laughs> okay. It's, no, it's purest, like it's note. purest <laughs> camp. <laughs> And look, season two, you're getting some Swoozy Kurtz in there. I love Swoozy. Season three, you're getting Sandra O. Oh. Ooh. Um, and also Olympia Dukakis plays Anna Madrigal. Yes. Fuck yeah. Lady. She yeah. thinks she's in a very good show. I love it. <laughs> and she's occasionally right. <laughs> such a bitchy thing to say. <laughs> right. Um, I love it. She's stupendous. And look, you know, it's, you know, 
PBS acting is not always the best, but Laura Linney's great. Olympia Dukakis is great. Mm. I'm so ready for the, the new, new series. I'm very excited. Cool. Yeah. Nay. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I watched this uh, David Attenborough nature doc. Okay. There's lots of polar bears in it. Our planet? No, it wasn't. I don't think it was one of those like with episodes. Oh, okay. Um, but I was thinking about how he's been old my whole life. So like, wow. how, how old is he? <laughs> 132. Um, but it also just made me really anxious about global warming. So mm. that was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this what you watched when you got back into town? No, this is what I was out of town. So that was a good idea. Yeah. Party. Yeah. Oh, what about you, Michael? Um, I watched scream Two, Brennan. Oh my God. Did you really? Yeah. I watched Scream one night and then I watched Scream 2 the next night. Still holds up. Still amazing. I love it. Thank I've you. I've never seen that. What's it? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided I this week I watched Scream and then I really wanted to watch Scream 2. So I'm going to watch Scream 3 and then cool. I'll watch Scream 4 again. That's I mean, it sounds like a plan. Yeah. I haven't actually – I don't think I've ever like sat and like – done the four of them like one after another really? either in like one day or like day after day mm-hmm. so i'm like really excited because tonight scream three. Oh, yeah yes. that, that that's a fun movie to like close out a night kind of i mean look, that movie's if i a, fall asleep during it i'll be okay yeah look it, it's it's a weaker <laughs> entry but it's a cartoon it and it's fun it's scooby-doo yeah yeah it's scooby-doo with short bangs <laughs> um but two still is like I love it so much. You do. I love Scream 2 so much. It's so good. The acting, the dialogue, the dialogue, the set piece is everything. I just like, I live for that movie. Fucking Laurie Metcalf at the end. <laughs> like just insanity. Oh, yeah. Those fucking huge eyes. Yeah. Again, I picked up music cues that I've heard oh, without the movie, but never heard them on like such a good TV with the movie. And it makes such a difference. Mm. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah. So tomorrow, tonight at Scream 3, sometime this weekend, Scream 4. You know, that does make a huge difference, and this is silly, and it's not as cool as what you just brought up, but I was watching The Office the other day on someone's HD, like, new TV, mm-hmm. and I'd never watched, because, you know, I watch The Office, like, yeah, all the time. on my old ass laptop, Yeah, and I saw someone's eyeshadow that I had never noticed before, and it just mm. made, like, a really big difference yeah, in, like, that character. F- fun about going back. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't, I've watched this show through 15 times, mm-hmm. and I've never noticed any of that. Until, you should yeah. do, when you watch it on your laptop, do you put headphones in or no? Sometimes. Because I've noticed watching shows and movies, like, with headphones, you hear so much more. Well, I always have captions on. Okay. I fucking love captions. But like sound design with headphones on like a big fucking television with the sound up. It's like, like we, Brian and I gifted each other. We bought, we essentially bought our first item together, even though we've been together for four years, but we bought our first item together, which was like a 4k TV We splurged and got a really nice one. And we watched the first 4k movie we watched on. It was, um, close encounters. There's a 4k copy of it now. In the sound, it's like fucking unreal how much of that movie I never heard before, like in the sound design. And it makes such a difference. It's so cool. So you and Brian are gay, huh? Gay as fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I watched Logan again, blown fucking away watching that in 4K. And I was so resistant to getting a 4K TV for the longest time because I'm like, why are we going to spend the money? We can spend the money on something else that we need. And pushback, pushback, we get it. He puts on Logan – 
changed it to SD after like 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, there's a, I used to be like, there's no difference. What are you talking about? There's, it's a huge fucking difference. And I was like, okay, eating crow. <laughs> my, my favorite meal. Ooh, a feather. <laughs> my most frequent meal. <laughs> well, this was a fun, quick tea time. Mm. I love it. Um, all right. So, folks, hi. The movie we're bringing to you today. Um, would you, I wouldn't say this is like a controversial pick just because it's not. But most people recognize another film in this franchise for being the gay, gayest movie of all time. But I um, personally feel that Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is an even gayer movie. And that's what we are covering tonight. And this movie actually was chosen off of the conversation Sam and I had probably like a month ago about how we were like undercover, uh, undercover, like about how we thought Nightmare on Elm Street 3 was queerer than 2, but we didn't tell anybody. Do you remember this conversation? No, tell me more about it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's where this wanting to do this movie Genesis happened for me. So we're doing Nightmare 3. Trailer me. Yes. He's horribly burned. He has razors on his right hand. Man of my dreams. He's real, isn't he? Yeah, you get it. It's Elm Street 3. He's not. (laughs) Spoilers. So do you guys have shady summaries for this, or do you have, like, lovable summaries? Either or. Lovable, really. Yeah, of course. That's great. What's yours, Nay? I love it. It's great. Such a great summary. It is. I. I mean, I think I said it to somebody before we recorded, but I forgot that it's one of my comfort movies. Mm -hmm. You said it to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we said it was like cheese whiz. It's like cheese whiz. Yeah, and I tied that into Rage Carry too because she says you're caviar and she's cheese whiz. Um. Anyway. Yeah. It is. Put it on the cracker. Yeah, on a Ritz. So good. I love it, Brennan. I'd actually like to close out with mine. Okay. Do you want me to go before you as well? Yes, please. Okay. Sam, better be good. Uh, I hope so. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, what? Conversion therapy brought to you by Hypnosil. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is kind of not similar, but it's on the same line where is mine is Dr. Sims hates queer youth to death. Oh, God. That's so true. Fuck. Dark. Uh, Not to laugh, but okay, Brennan. Okay. So I was thinking... It's been about five weeks since Mark left the show. Uh huh. And he used to do songs as his shady summaries. Yeah, that's right. And it's been about seven weeks since we lost Crazy Ex Girlfriend. So I thought I would rewrite the first season theme song to Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Oh, wow. I'm living. Okay. Are you going to sing right now? I am. Do you honestly want to look at you? Because you look really nervous. <laughs> I'm sweating. Okay. Um, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. I just need to. <laughs> Breathe through it. You got it. We're going to see how it goes, see if it's a disaster. I was working hard at a state grad school, taking pills to avoid my dreams. One day, <laughs> teens were dying a lot, and so I decided to move to Weston Sanitarium with brand new group, a new career. That happens to be a hot doctor, but that's not why I'm here. I'm the final girl. Nancy Thompson. The final girl. Here to save the day. No way I'm gonna die. M-A-N-C-Y, the final girl. Wow. You just duetted with yourself, you gay wow. boy. I right. have prep time. Wow. Sam is mouth agape. 
Sir, yeah, oh, your cheeks are hurting from laughing. Boner alert! <laughs> I'm like, my cheeks hurt. Oh, Brennan, I can. Do you I like this like movie? Brennan? My hands have fallen asleep because <laughs> you're like, this is my post nervous. Yeah. yeah. So, did you like the movie? Yeah, I did. I like this movie a lot. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I even knew you until now. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, so revealing. this is a peak me in high school. You are such a magical uh, person. Thank you. That's great, Brennan. I appreciate you. Um, okay, so a little bit on A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tokyo Drift. It, um, it's written in... <laughs> Written by uh, Russ Craven and Bruce Wagner and Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell. Story by Craven and Wagner. Directed by Chuck Russell. Music by Angelo Badalamente, who did twin, who's famous for his Twin Peaks scores. Stars Heather Langenkamp, Robert Englund, John Saxon, Larry Fishburne, also known yeah. as Lawrence Fishburne. The kid's going places. And was fucking bad bitch Patricia Arquette's yes. first film, who I fucking love. It made $45 million at the box office. Wow. Making it the highest grossing film for the studio that year in 19, uh, 1987 and the 24th highest grossing film of the year. It is the third highest grossing film of the original Nightmare franchise after Freddy vs. Jason and A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Child. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot more facts about this movie if you guys want to start there or if we want to go. Go ahead. Sam, you look like you were going to say something. I had a question question the dream child's part five yeah oh i'm sorry <laughs> okay the dream oh, master sure. the i dream didn't master. want to say something stupid that can't be taken the dream master internet, so i just yeah. looked at you i actually have it written here correctly i just <laughs> said the dream child cool um mm-hmm. so, I, I know where you were <laughs> so i think there's some like interesting stuff so i don't know if have you guys ever read Wes craven's original draft for this or heard about some of the original no. incarnations well, for this movie before it got off the ground. I mean, wasn't one of the original story ideas New Nightmare? It was. Yeah. That was his first take. So after two just left everybody feeling, eh, even though it made more money than one, the studio kind of realized that they needed to write ship and like go back to the roots of the franchise, even though they're only in the third movie at this point. So they actually asked Wes to come back. He was hesitant. To, he didn't want to do two and he was kind of hesitant to do three, but he came up with the pitch and it was essentially a new nightmare. Mm. And they immediately were like, no, <laughs> no, can't do that. So then he had a second idea, which was it, some of the elements are in the movie, which is why he has screenwriting credit and story credit. But I read this draft and it's fucking insane and it's really dark and scary. And I kind of wish they would have gone for it. But at the time there was like, like a lot of, just a lot of negative negativity around there was a, a rash of teen suicide going on in America and like parents weren't having it. So the studio was afraid to do like a teen suicide centered story fully. And Wes's original idea that he wrote with Bruce was essentially a bunch of kids going to one location for some reason they didn't know, but to kill themselves at this location. And then you spend the whole movie essentially with Nancy and Kirsten in this script um, she only spends like a minute in the mental hospital and she goes to this location and Nancy's not a doctor. She's not studying to be a doctor or anything. She's actually just trying to f- prove that Freddie's actually real mm. and that he's like a, 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 a flesh and blood person now yeah. at this point. And of course, like the location that these kids are going to actually ends up being like Freddie's childhood home. So you spend most of the movie in his like fucking crazy childhood home oh. and like they go into rooms and stuff and I if, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody online, but I think they go oh, they into will. rooms and see like parts of his past during their nightmares and that kind of thing. So it's like, oh. it's the, a really trippy, dark, very dark movie. And there's fresh fennel in the kitchen. Yes. That, uh, 
Sean Patrick Thomas throws it. Yeah. Myers. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot more on it, but I don't want to bore people to death. Um, but there's an interesting in Jeffrey Cooper's novelization called the nightmare on Elm streets, nightmare and El- nightmares on Elm street parts one, two and three, the continuing story, the original Craven and Wagner version of the script is adapted instead of the movie. So, so also, if you can find the book. Also Taryn can breathe fire in the book. Oh really? Yeah. So I, th- that's really funny. God, she's and already Dr. Sims, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Sim's last name in Craven's first draft was Madalena, which was the name of his producing partner. Also, so, which I think is cute. Since you brought up Dr. Sims, I have one Bitch. more fancy fact that I found that connects us <laughs> to actually the Rage Carry 2, which we ah. talked about last week. Um, the actress who plays Dr. Sims is Amy Irving's mother. No shit. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. So that, that happened. Interesting. So it's a secret Amy Irving double feature. Okay. So, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Um, I like to call it the the Nightmare Avengers. <laughs> it's like Nightmare's version of the Avengers, right? Um, and I think they did a really good job of adding this like element of giving the kids a superpower to fight in their dream sequences. Um, and it's like kind of a... It's like a... To me, it's like one of those home run ideas. You're either like in a fucking swing and completely mm. miss... Or you swing and knock it out of the park because that could go really bad really quickly. And I thought they did a good job of giving the kids a special power. And I just kind of wanted to discuss that a little bit because our queeros have a lot of cool stuff going on that they can do. And do you think that – so let me ask you this question. Um, I call it like code gay at Weston Hills that I think every <laughs> single one of yes. these kids, every single one is queer. Nancy to me is queer in this movie. I think she, after the death of her boyfriend in part one, mm-hmm. did a lot of soul searching and realized that she was actually a lesbian. Mm-hmm. I mean, Johnny Depp's character in the first movie is basically Soft butch. yeah 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 yes he's a transitional <laughs> yeah yeah so um, a little emo but yeah so I don't know I kind of want to start there because I think it to me this movie's. Queer from beginning to end, or essentially when you meet, yeah, I mean, because you meet Kristen right away as she's like putting together. I mean, as I think I wrote in my notes, like paper mache equals gay. Um, she's like paper mache and putting Nancy's house together. And that was. It's a queer movie from the yeah. get go. I th- yeah. Do anyone else have any thoughts about these kids? Because I think they all code are coded as queer or, or mm-hmm. just are straight up queer, mm-hmm. including Joey, who like has the hots for the nurse. Mm hmm. Honestly, I think I'm going to need some convincing on that one because I can so get behind the idea that these characters are othered. They're ignored by their peers and Mm -hmm. their parents. And that's like an entryway Mm -hmm. into a queer perspective. And I can definitely read a couple characters as queer, but I definitely want to hear more about how you think every character is queer because that's not a reading that I have, but I'm very interested in it. I took the reading from the way Dr. Sims just talks about what their issues are, and she says all their issues. We have a clip of it if you want to play it. It's a really long clip um, where it intros all the kids. So maybe that's a good place to start, actually. It intros all the kids. Straight talk only in this room. Straight talk only. See, hey, like, like, like I said, no one's gay here. With our new staff member, Nancy Feel free to talk over. Let's make her all welcome. Now, you've already met Philip and Kincaid, and of course, Kristen. How about uh, the rest of you all tell Nancy something? I love about all their little stories. Will, how about you first? Hi, I'm Will Stanton, and uh, yeah. I've had a little accident. <laughs> 
Okay, he is reading them. You're right. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's this is Joey. He used to be a queer. Shade. School, but now he doesn't queer. Much. <laughs> I don't know if I want to name Kincaid. I don't really like Kincaid. <gasps> I like Kincaid by the end. Gays we don't like. That's true. You're right. <laughs> they, they're there. Uh, <laughs> so it's coming up. Can I interject something here just to save us all some time? No. Sure, Philip, go ahead. Well, according to our kind hosts, our dreams are a group psychosis. Sort of a mellow mass hysteria. Okay. The okay. fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. That's right. So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. Okay. You won't make any progress <laughs> until you recognize your dreams. I can hear it. I can hear are. it in the lines. Yeah. And what are they? The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. Okay, conversion <laughs> therapy, like Sam said. <laughs> so yeah, the Dr. Sims line at the end there, to me, any like queer that, coding uh-huh. questions I had was answered by, that was literally her being like, you're homosexuals, <laughs> to me. Or I can read it that way. So this gets into some interesting territory for me, which is what is and isn't a queer film. And I know that you talk about it on here a lot because we watch a lot of different things. But um, to me, this is not a queer film, but it does – it is something that has the – when you do a queer reading of it, it is a perfect fit. So then I guess then it is – in that way, it is. You know, or unintentionally or maybe intentionally if you know more than I do. Um, But the the fit of – Everybody having their own thing that they're trying to hold back, and they're going there to fix it. And the doctor obviously overseeing this, even when uh, Nancy brings in a, a medication that will effectively not solve the problem, but suppress just it. suppress it. Mm-hmm. That's, and even Nancy thinks that's the solution for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, until they get to a place where they can embrace who they are, discover that that's actually not what's holding you back, but it's the very thing that sets you free. And then have victory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is the yeah. kind of queer film that I need and mm-hmm. want and deserve. Right. And we <laughs> don't have enough of. And I think that's the beauty of just having, like, self, like, having to be able to think on your own is that yeah. it, something doesn't need to register or definitely be defined as queer to be queer. And for me, I watch a movie like this and some of the movies we discussed um, that aren't straight up. I'm blanking on any movie we've watched, but that aren't straight up queer, but like being able like Rosemary's baby is a mm-hmm. good example of being able to put your life experience into Rosemary yes. to understand what she's going through, even though her life is different than yours, having the commonality and it, whether it's queerness or being a, a, being a woman who's literally being impregnated by the devil, you know, to me that, that re- that makes it queer, right? You know, I mean, like if it's queer to you, it's queer mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes a film that is not explicitly queer or intended to be queer has a better queer reading than a film that is. Exactly. So a great example would be last week we talked about the Rage Carry Two. You can say the you can use explicit language. You can even create yeah. a moment that um, that goes down that path, but it doesn't mean it's handled responsibly. And yeah. so something like this, and for an audience who doesn't see themselves explicitly in film, I know that 
for me, this was my favorite nightmare for years. Same. Mm-hmm. I gravitated to these people. Yeah. I wanted to be these people. I know as a young person, I didn't know why, but as an adult, I know younger me loved this movie so much because they were finding who a, who they were, like you said, and b the inner strength to not only accept that, but to use it as like their best asset. Mm-hmm. Um, Nay, mm-hmm. what do you think? I mean, I think when I was younger, I thought th- of like sin in general, as far as like the thing they're trying to avoid. Um, and as an older person, I'm like, we think about queerness and gender and all kinds of things that, you're told to keep inside of these certain lines. And then as a queer person or a trans person, um, you're like, this is this, I do not fit in this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you spend a long time trying to until you realize that it's okay that you don't. Um, and I think maybe, I guess I wish I could remember how old I was when I first watched this. Um, but I think, well, the sin back then that I was trying to keep from doing was masturbating. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know I was gay, but I was like, that's the thing I do that is sin. <laughs> and, you know, when they're like, they're like, uh, you know, homegirl cut off her eyelids <laughs> to keep from sleeping. Right? I, <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like a form of castration. Yeah. And all, all of the things, I mean, it kind of resonates from last week with um, the rage and talking about Cat Shay and talking about the things that we've done when we were younger that later we were like, wow, that was very, very gay. (laughs) Um, I don't think that, well, for myself, I know that I definitely just had no concept of the fact that all of these rules were made up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's so so nice when you learn that. Yes. It was like when Kara was here, Kara was here with Rosemary's baby when you realized like, I'm an adult in my own home and I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like it's such a simple statement, but it's so like true. Mm -hmm. And it's such a moment you do have at some point in your life. Mm -hmm. I know I had it when I moved out here Mm -hmm. and like, you just realize that, wait, I don't have anyone to answer to. I have it over and over and over again every day, all throughout the day. It's such a great feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be like, Oh, am I sitting in this park smoking a joint? Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know that's what I was going to want to do when I was a kid, but now that I'm grown, I'm like, oh, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, aren't I? It feels amazing. <laughs> so, Brennan, are you, do you... Uh, I, no, I, I totally get where you're coming from more yeah. than like, I mean, the beginning of this. Difference of opinion's great. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, look, existing as any like racial or social minority in a culture that's not geared towards your interests or life or whatever, you do have to read into... Right the culture at large, the mainstream culture and find yourself within it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we've had to do as queer people. That's something that, you know, you read almost any think piece from someone who's not white talking about pop culture and finding their space in it, which first of all, I recommend you do. All, <laughs> there's a lot of very interesting ones. <laughs> Our friend, Joel Monique writes several beautiful ones every month yes when it comes to that yeah and if you'll allow me a tangent really quick yeah um there is a new movie coming out um in august called blinded by the light um it's directed by garinder chada who directed bride bride and prejudice and bend it like beckham um she is a, a woman of color mm-hmm. um who grew up in england and all of her stuff is about the intersection between indian culture and british right. culture and this new movie is about um in i believe 
I don't know specifically what country he's from because I haven't seen the movie. Um, but he's not a white person. Um, but he's like an East Asian descent and he finds like a deep wellspring of love for Bruce Springsteen. And interesting. The movie, at least according to the trailer seems to be about how deeply he can connect with the works of Bruce Springsteen works that weren't created for him. Mm. And, the kind of clash that creates in the like existing culture clash, clash that's in his life. Oh, interesting. And I don't know. I, I'm just, I want to stump for that movie because I love her films so much. And anyway, go check that out. But also <laughs> it ties as, into what yeah, this movie is yeah. as queer people. There's definite, there's really easy insertion points for, <laughs> for this movie, for, for a queer um, identification. Yeah. And I yeah. totally get that. But I also agree with Sam in the sense that like, I don't think this film was created to be queer. No, but I also I don't, don't think, so think that doesn't mean that it's not. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, I don't know, I'm dancing uh-huh. on the fence. Yeah, it's like, we got this got one. You. We stole it from you. <laughs> <laughs> this was, it's a conversation I feel like I've been getting in on Twitter, especially again and again, which is what belongs to us and what doesn't belong to us. And the second, and I think that I, I hear your hesitance. Uh, Brennan, because it, and I understand it and I feel for it because a lot of times I feel like I don't want to say something is queer, especially when I know it wasn't created to be that way. But for me personally, it's because there's mm-hmm. always so much backlash to say, well, this is ours. And then what does that mean? Mm-hmm. When you look at a film that is like Near Jar, directed by Catherine Bigelow, we know that she is a female filmmaker and that you can't dispute that. When we're looking at something like, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, okay, well, whose is it? Or Hellraiser, you know, and all the news that came forward about that. And uh, mm. and who is going to be in charge of this franchise? What is the direction that the new Chucky's going to be now that it is in the hands of straight people? Right. And, and, and do we have right. ownership over that? And that's where that conversation to me gets a little bit murkier. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's why we find ourselves putting queerness on things that weren't intended to be queer because we don't have a lot else out there. Especially you know? in 1987. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, and honestly, like, I think for me as a creative person, I, I'm a writer. If I wrote something that wasn't explicitly queer and a, a queer person identified with it, then that's great. You know what I mean? Like, if, you know, I bet if the filmmakers, if Wes Craven was around today and we were, he was sitting here with us and we were telling him that like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 was like a seminal queer film for me, he'd be like, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't intend it to be that way, but like, I'm so glad you found yourself in the film, you know? And I think that's the good thing about art, you know? So like, yes. I don't, and I don't do that with a lot of stuff. I don't take it lightly and like queer anything I see up and go, oh, that's queer. I can make it queer. I'm going to make this queer. That's my goal today. But I think for me... It's okay to do that, but for me, it's like I th- identify Nightmare 3 as a queer movie because I think it's super queer and I mm-hmm. have reasons that I think it's queer. And I can state those reasons as opposed to just being like, it's queer. Yeah. You know? And be, like, are, are, <laughs> no, I mean, I, this stems from a much larger um, point for me about whether like who art belongs to right like what how much the artist or the people how much the intention of the artist matters in the long run because once the artist has departed the work the work's um, still there the audience is as important if not more important than the artist and that can be a really challenging discussion to have like just as an appreciator of art um 
Yeah. Well, just like we talked about with Carrie too, like how the view of that movie can change over the course of 20 years. Well, also who an audience is, right? Like for me, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is such a dude bro thing. I love it. I'm here for it. I'm so into it. I know that that's who that movie belongs to. Just like I know Hello, Mary Lou belongs to us. Yeah. You know, but when I'm looking at it, when you actually look at the film, why isn't, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 fits us way better than Hello, Mary Lou. When mm-hmm. you think thematically and story-wise and actually giving us something to aspire to be. So why is it then that we give it to them? And then we'll take this one over here. Is it just having a female in the front? There are mm-hmm. strong well, women in this I movie. I think it also depends to like what the reaction is when it comes out probably as well. But the other mm-hmm. thing is, is like, why can't we just fucking share? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, one thing right? was, one thing Not, was, that wasn't uh, t- intended towards you. That's just intended towards like mm-hmm. in general. Well, one thing I was going to say is that you seeing yourself in this movie makes it fucking queer. Right. Exactly. That is true. Exactly. Um, it doesn't matter what anybody else takes from it or gave into it. That is your your truth. <laughs> it's and my truth. That Nightmare is, three truth. truth. That is a truth, and that's how art fucking works. Yeah, that's the beauty um, of art. But I mean, obviously, that is that's a challenge. The conversation, what is art, is something that people have been talking about literally forever. Right. Um, and but that's something interesting. But also to Sam's point, I mean, hasn't there been a kind of disappointing history of especially gay men? Um, rejecting works that are explicitly queer in favor of things where they can kind of see themselves through the mirror of a female um, because mm. it's, it's, it's a more distancing aspect. I mean, there's a Tell lot of, more. okay. Like there's, what? Um, there's a, I don't know. There's a lot of think pieces about it that I have read and I wish I could sp- spring them all from memory. Do you mean exactly. like from internalized homophobia? Yeah. I mean, in terms mm. of like, if we're, if we're looking at a, like a gay, um, male pop artist, we don't tend to, as, as a massive generalized group, we don't tend to lift those people up as much as we lift up like your Madonna's or your Britney Spears or people who are not queer people. Um, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, I think it's I think it's the thing. Look, I I love me some divas, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's Show the title. thing where we we do still have so little representation that when there is something some something or someone out there that's like I'm a queer person or in terms of I'm speaking as a cis gay man like someone out here saying I'm a gay man if you don't feel directly distinctly represented by that person you kind of push it away mm. and when it is something that's more outrageous or like a woman who is taking her love of and interest in men to an extreme, you can relate to that because it's through a prism. Um, it's not you directly looking at someone and being like, you are not me and I need to I don't know, have a me here. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I don't know. That's something. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> Nay, what do you think? Um, I think we can take whatever we want oh, yeah? to take. Love it. Um, and it's not that the conversation shouldn't happen or that we can't have, you know, we can't talk about actually, no, fuck you. Like we don't need, <laughs> I, no one has to explain why a movie resonates with them or like why they feel that they can easily queer something in it. Because the thing is there is no harm in that. It's like the right. harm, True. the harm comes from being excluded. The harm comes from like things not being created for you, things not being created with you in mind, things not, you know, being created for your benefit. And it's like, sure, we can argue or people can argue with someone or if like 
the dude bros that love Elm Street want to be like, this isn't for you. Like, well, of course you feel that way. Like, you feel that way about everything. You get to decide what is right. for who and who mm. is for what all of the fucking and time. And also, like, so, fuck you. Like, who boring. cares if I like it? Yeah. Like, and... Are you worried that you're a little gay because we like the same exactly. movie? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is your favorite movie too. Maybe um, we should watch it together with um, our dicks out. Well, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Touching tips. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, have you seen that um that GIF on Instagram that Tip you touching? can use uh, for um, Nightmare on Elm Street? No. That's like the butts touching. No. Oh yeah. He, yeah. It's. <laughs> I'm like, don't. Where did you find that Nightmare Three GIF that you posted today? On I Twitter. Fucking love. Oh, that was beautiful. Right? I've never seen that before. Twitter. It was just a Twitter search? <laughs> yeah. You know I'm trying to learn Twitter. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> You're getting good at it. I don't know about mm-hmm. that, but I'm trying to learn. But yeah, I take it. Yeah, because, right? Yeah. It's no harm. Take it. Be- people are upset because they are used to making the rules and they are used to making the boundaries and the lines. And Well, it's like those know? people that like protest against like queer rights. Mm-hmm. Who for some reason get so fucking pissed? It's almost like me having equal protection to makes them feel like they're losing mm-hmm. something. It's because they're telling on themselves. Yes. Yeah. they're yes. telling on themselves. They are. It's they're- like you know when Obama was president, and people were like, "Well, this is really scary for us because is this black man going to keep like black people in mind before everyone else?" And it's like, "Oh, is that what y'all do? <laughs> right. uh, are you saying that that's something one might do? Because yeah. if that's what you're admitting." If you won't admit that you are doing that also, you're just fucking racist. Right. If you think that anyone isn't putting certain things or their own self-interest first, like that's just being a human being. Right. Um, Yeah. It it is just like mass telling on yourself. Yeah. When people are like, I don't want you to have the same protections I have. Well, that doesn't harm you. So mm-hmm. you're you're just either admitting you're a homophobe or you're a fucking idiot. Like yeah. take your pick. You're probably mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just th- that's the thing I've found mostly in the last like year or two, especially on social media, is just a lot of people telling themselves. Oh yeah. Unintentionally. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They sure do, right? They sure do. <laughs> So, you know, I uh, yeah. if I can specifically yeah. reference, yeah, yeah, please. I, we, we ha- we've been having an ongoing conversation about Hellraiser, and I know that my opinion is not popular necessarily, even you know within the gay community. Um, but I do feel that a movie that was helmed by a queer filmmaker. We have very few. Ser- we have tons of things that have been written by us, but this is a very big series, mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot um, like that. So when it gets removed from us. I feel like it's being straight washed into this mm-hmm. without having read the script, without mm-hmm. not knowing where it's going, but knowing whose hands it's going into. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's okay to speak up and say, hey. Uh, yeah. It's okay to question. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to say something, yes. and I want to demand the change that I want to see. And I'm not expecting there to be a change, but if we don't keep asking for it, they're never going to give the, it to us. Exactly. Exactly. And if you didn't like the way I said it, Sorry, not sorry, because I I would try it the other way, but everybody else has been trying it the other way, and nothing's changed. Also, guess what? Queer people die for this shit. Like, <laughs> well, that's the man. thing is like no one's fucking gotten anywhere by being fucking polite. Yeah. their whole goddamn life. Like, yeah. you know, um, polite you, things don't get retweets. Oh my god, man! I'm like still thinking about what you just said. Like, they won't give you anything. Like, people do die for this. People die for that shit. It's like, you know, when um talk about cultural appropriation comes up or like people are like what's the big deal and it's like 
you do realize that I'm not mad about your cornrows. Like it's I'm not mad about your hairstyle or that you like you know gelled down your baby hairs you're in like Coachella. Yeah, like if that's not it. The point is is that when I do that like I don't advance for that. I'm seen as hood for that or like I'm seen as less than and it's like you're allowed to do this and maintain yeah, it's your not integrity. Like, it's and not your, your fucking your Coachella look. Like no, it's not the fact that you <laughs> braided your hair. Like I get it you want to braid your fucking hair, but it's the it's the fact that along with this you're allowed to act all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. You are allowed to speak to me a certain way. You are allowed to like do this and still move on in your life in a way that I'm not allowed to. Like literally there are many states in which I can get not hired for a job due to my hairstyle. Right. Like, it's, it's not the same thing. Like no one is mad about like your baby fat velour sweatsuit. Like that's not what it is. It's. I always like when I was on Instagram, I'd always like not say laugh cause it's not funny, but like every year around Coachella, I'd always be like, okay, what gays are going to tell on themselves this year by having their hair? done in braids because there was always one white gay boy that would post like got my hair done for Coachella and it's like dude <laughs> really like, like, you have no idea that yeah. this is not the look but it was it was always a white guy named Drake or something You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like always just like but it was in a lot of ways it's like keep telling on yourselves people yeah like that's also kind of how I feel about the fact that a lot of queer terminology has been appropriated by straight memes and things like we're talking about like yas and throwing shade and all that stuff and to be clear most of that stuff was created by black queer people (laughs) so we also stole it from them yeah Mm -hmm. it's a whole vicious heinous cycle but I definitely don't want the straights to have it either no they can't have it because you know what if if you say yas in a restaurant homeboy over there might be like that fucking faggot over there is dying later like we die for these things. That's like, so, yeah. it is. And that's why it's ours. Like I, yeah, it's, no, why, it, it's ours, you know, it, well, that's are, why it <laughs> pisses me off when anybody says like, why does it have to like, why do we have to do like, um, identity politics? And it's like, because you fucking make my identity political just yes. because you feel like it. Yeah, yeah. Just existing. Yeah. Is a just existing is a political statement to you. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we do have identity politics. Or when it's like fucking prick. Can't they just be a filmmaker and not a queer filmmaker? Right. Can you just let them be a great no. artist? Um, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, because being no. queer is what makes them a great artist. And you, by saying that, you are saying that just being a filmmaker or just being an artist is the standard and that when someone is queer or someone is black or that when someone is a woman, exactly. that that deviates from the norm. And although we know it's a deviation from the norm because we know who normally well, does this shit. Well, and we know what filmmaker means, white male. Yeah. That's what that means. Yeah, but you it's like, I mean? this is why it's fucking important to me because like these words, these things that make my existence political, these things that like throw all these glass ceilings above my head, like... We fight for it. We die for it. Yeah. That, that is really true. Um, I mean, look, I constantly want to recognize and acknowledge the fact that I am a cis white man and that comes with a lot, a lot of privilege. But as also as an out gay person, there are, I mean, there are fewer spaces where, you know, mm-hmm. I can hide my minority status or press status or whatever. And that's all fine and dandy. But there are literally places where you can't get killed for oh, being yeah. who you are. There are places where you don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, my boyfriend and I were on a road trip, and we 
bought, we stopped at a motel and we got a sing, a room with a single bed. And the, the lady who was checking us in was like, she just thought we were like poor college students. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, don't worry. I'll upgrade you to a room with two beds. And it's like, we don't good. We'll fuck on both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Can you put them together, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert, we took the bigger room. Um, yeah. But, like, I hope it, you fucked loud all weekend. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't fucking tell Michael. Um, but it was only Is one of wrong? the beds. Um, we um, put our stuff on the other one. Anyway, so. <laughs> Set the equipment out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I need room. Um, anyway. <laughs> Michael's leg is anyway, in the air. God, <laughs> my, my parents listen to this. But look, I'm. Do they really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Also, oh, shout out to them. They're the best. Oh, yeah. my no, God. Look, Brandon's it's parents. Look, I am. 24 years old. Yeah. Hi, clients. Oh Look, they, sorry. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they know. Okay. We haven't talked about it. I mean, I'm you can, dying. Can That's so cute. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, like, my mom and dad would like text me and be like, oh, I really like that episode. Oh, oh cool. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. I hope my mom never learns what a podcast is. None <laughs> yeah, of y'all fucking same. tell her either. Some of you. <laughs> no, my, no, my parents are super hip and cool and they know how to download podcasts and they listen in their cars. It's very fancy. Well, hello. Klein family. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, like th- this check-in lady, it literally never crossed her mind that a person could be gay. Yes. Like, yeah. It's just not something that occurred to her. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, I did feel um, a little What's a tense and or right. unsafe in that situation where it's like, who if she found out, like, well, right. who would she tell? Right. How would she react to it? Mm-hmm. Would we be kicked out of this space? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm like, obviously, that wasn't necessarily like a dangerous situation but it's a complete erasure it still feels it feels fills you with feeling it's like i find myself in those moments a lot like with my own family where it's like they've made an assumption that you know circles back around to whatever norm that they're used to and it's like do i not say anything and let this moment pass and you Mm -hmm. leave me the fuck alone and you keep assuming what you assume because it's not affecting my pocket so Uh whatever or because I'm so tired of that erasure and for a lot of folks who are able to live away from their fam- their like birth families, they you live your life and fight every day to be who you are and it's hard sometimes to go back to that and be like, okay, I'm hiding again. But it that is dangerous. I feel like sometimes people think and, and this goes a lot for a lot of microaggressions. It's like, oh, because someone didn't die, that it's not dangerous. Oh, so the, it's like the Roxanne Gay thing you were talking yes. about, where it's like, it could be worse. It could be worse. It's like, yeah, it could, it will be, and yeah. it, it has been, but that's still fucking gross. It's like, have you seen all those memes about um, just like how often people, like people will literally see two women getting married and they'll be like, look at these best friends that got married on the same day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, long time living gal pal. Yeah. Right, and you're like, yeah, you didn't murder me this time, <laughs> but like, you sit on juries, right? You 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 vote. Yeah, you make you decisions that impact yeah. my community, and maybe you think it's funny that you think these two women in wedding dresses are best friends, but it's not fucking funny, and they're fucking later, they're <laughs> fucking wives. Okay, yeah. to circle back to the horror community and how this affects us i feel like that's such a good point because it doesn't have to be death to have an effect i mean and yeah. yes people do fucking die yeah. and i don't want to and i don't have to drive out of state even though that is such a good example and i feel like i've totally fucking been there also that was to experience, in california for the oh record my God. Yeah. central cali and uh, north northern that's california. santa Ana, just tell me. <laughs> but it's yeah. you know riverside where it, it could be anywhere and that's the point like it, it for yeah, me yeah absolutely in this 
industry, something I've noticed that uh, infuriates me and also I have so much sympathy for or empathy for is, uh, is, is making ourselves meeker so that we can fit into a larger film culture. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, and I'm a lot of my queer friends, we, we sand off our edges when it comes to our opinions about films because I don't want to, I don't want to not please somebody because it's already so fucking hard being gay and trying to have Mm -hmm. a voice or, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I guess that's okay. I don't need that main character to be gay. I had, uh, I had a, a, Something that got pretty far, and then the the decision was made to make one of the you know the fourth character down. You can make the fourth character down gay, and it's like you know the reaction. Like, that, yeah, you're right. That's, that's so representation. You that's what you're worth. But mm-hmm. yes, I think at the end of the day, what am I doing if I'm just saying yeah that'll do for now? Um, other than standing off on my edges, I want to have mm-hmm. some edge. Something. Mm-hmm. Well, and politeness doesn't. That person that said that to you by being polite to them, they don't learn shit. Mm-hmm. They tell that to the next person they see yeah. that puts the fir- gay character first or second. So this is just going back to your point. Like if you present it a little bit rough per se, like you said, maybe on Twitter or whatever. Good. Because yeah. not telling Mr. Executive. I mean, I can't think of anything else to say other than go fuck yourself right now, but mm. he's going to tell you to the next person, make your gay character four or five. And then mm-hmm. in the list, it might go further down the list every time. Unless you say, unless somebody says something Mm -hmm. and the intentions may not be bad, but at the end of the day, he still doesn't know shit. Yeah. Impact. Yeah. When a new movie comes out and we see that side character who's gay, more often than not, we're not going to say anything about Mm -hmm. how it's not enough or how Mm -hmm. it was wrong. We just don't. And that's actually why I was nervous about joining the podcast. Cause I'm like, ah, shit. Like, (laughs) am I going to, I don't want to like alienate. Well, I mean, one out myself. As being somebody who's really unhappy with how <laughs> the current state of representation, mm-hmm. um, and two, uh, you know, step on some polite toes because you guys are so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and but at the end of the day, there's so much fucking work to be done. Just be thankful no one listens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's that's, not that's true. It's not true. We have a good loyal following. We have yeah, they're the best people from all over the world. And look, people actually tweeted us, and you guys do not understand how little that happens in the podcasting world. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much yeah, for we really actually, love our like, commenting and I on the making, episodes. I wasn't making a joke at our audience. I was making a joke at Michael, our, yeah, yeah. yeah, we know. Yeah. You're <laughs> no one. <laughs> so back to Nightmare Free. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love when we get in those kind of conversations from based on watching a movie. But there's a few things I wanted to talk because yeah, we yeah. actually should wrap it up soon. Um one, this was the introduction to High Budget Kill Freddy mm. and also mm-hmm. Comedian Freddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two of like the bigger hallmarks of the series from this point on started in this film. And I wanted to kind of discuss both because I think they're both handled with like a very deft hand here. Um, where and it might be because it is the first in the genre where some of the kills are a little outrageous, oh but that God. fucking like <laughs> mouth that's uh, eaten, yes, Patricia Arquette, which is clearly an uh, automatron. It's so amazing. Oh, it's amazing. The, the big t- Freddy dong. Yeah, the TV kill, like all that stuff. Like, do you appreciate? Do you uh, appreciate Upgrade Freddy here? Yes, because it does go along with the rest of the movie, which is upgrading the character strengths. The, 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 our protagonist essentially having superpowers and banding mm-hmm. together. So Freddie had to be up too in mm-hmm. order to either A, defeat them or Freddy make had it to a step challenge. his pussy up. Yeah. You know? yes. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, my question to you is do you think the kills in the comedy 
in this film were A, good or bad, and B, were they the beginning of the end of Serious Nightmare on Elm Street? Loaded question. Mm. Ernie? Um, <laughs> Nay, what do you think? No, you know, I was thinking um, when I was watching it, I was like, you know what? I don't care what someone's sign is. What's your favorite kill in in, in this movie? Ooh, <laughs> like, good. That's, that's what I want to know. Question. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely, when I was younger, I didn't think the deaths were funny. Like they're funny no, now, but no. I was like, "Well, this movie is a nasty." Story. Yeah, yeah. Like, actually, this I shit did, is nuts. I only find the deaths funny in the sense that, like, I laugh as a protection yeah. me- mechanism. Because watching it this time, some of them freak me out. Like Phil's death—that's the ligament shit. I literally was cringing last night. I'm like, this is hard to watch. The puppet. It was painful. Okay, welcome to primetime bits, though. You, that's Amazing. a good one. That's laugh. hilarious. That's a real funny that's a kill. fucking good one. Oh laugh. my God, so that, funny. That line is the reason <sighs> Freddie became what he was. Yo, Because yeah. like, it's so good, and it's like fucking chasing a high. The writers of the rest of the series, up until New Nightmare, mm-hmm. were trying to match that well, that's line. Why, that's why he said bitch so many times. Uh-huh. Absolutely. because And also, I'm like, is Freddie our caddy queen? Like, yes. like Michael Verratti always yeah. says, it's Freddie is just... Someone doing drag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Michael. I, Come back, Michael Verratti. Oh, soon. And, yeah. Nay, which was your favorite kill then? I mean, I personally would love to, like, shoot tongues out of my mouth and tie someone oh. to a bed with it. Like, <laughs> that would be he so amazing. He that. I forgot. Right? Yeah, that's true. That he somehow survived. Um, probably the TV. That is a good one. It is a good one. I noticed, I think the TV one's great. The ligament one's tough. <sighs> I felt like Taryn's... Watching it now, like that death none is of, challenging. It's Yeesh. challenging, but also like none of the needles actually really hit her arm when you watch it close <laughs> enough these days. Like it's like a very lazy the curse of Blu-ray. Yeah, and then like <laughs> also like Will's death is a little lame in the sense that like there's no sound effect to him getting stabbed. Oh, Will the magician, right? Yeah, his whole thing's yeah. kind of, and he just kind of gets stabbed right with the with the glove in his chest, yeah. like, chest and mm-hmm. he's dead. Because there's that like cool changeling wheelchair thing yeah, that's chasing him. Yeah, super him. cool. But it's such an anticlimactic. It is. It's just like this cool like wizard power and then all of a sudden he just... Well, he can't... He doesn't do anything with it. Yeah, he does it once and that's it. What about you, Sam? <sighs> the TV death. And I don't want to just say it again, but like... It is And this death. is why, though. Uh, I think the setup for that and, and giving her permission to stay up later... Yes. It implicates somebody else in her death in a way that yes. I think that... For me... um, the way that mental health in a psych ward setting is treated in this film is surprisingly accurate mm-hmm. in a sea of films that get it wrong. Mm-hmm. This I one mean, actually, Carrie too. Oh. guy walking around with a fire extinguisher petting it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, but they also had the Joker there with her. So, I mean, you know, what are you going <laughs> to... But this, this feels... Um, this, to me, feels like the closest to an experience that I've been a part of. And so, I'm like, okay, I get this. And I feel this. And I rem- I... I feel like asking somebody for that extra time or that little bit of extra when you need help, mm-hmm. it's it's your first instinct to ask for it, and they need to say no. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, and she's dead. And to me, that one had so much gravity, it was hard to watch. And I know all their deaths kind of played into like their past and stuff, but like hers and Taryn's are really hard because they really, mm-hmm. really, really, Freddie does use, yes. use their mm-hmm. lives. For Taryn, it's her a thing uh, 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 something she was super proud of getting over which was her addiction issues mm-hmm. and then for Jennifer it's like her dream he kills her with her fucking dream mm-hmm. which is so sad Fuck he looked you, at her Freddy. and he said why don't you make the gay character fourth down yeah oh and also <laughs> by the way Zsa Zsa Gabor gay oh yeah oh, yeah. makes it gay oh, 
And look, the, 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 the words the, the, saying Zsa Zsa Gabor. That's how I knew. I, you know what? I just remember when I was young, I was obsessed with all the Gabors. Uh-huh. Like, She's on that slapped um, a cop, right? Zsa Zsa? Was, oh, Green, Green Acres. Uh-huh. And like, I watched all that shit. And just even saying Zsa, Zsa if you say it five times in the mirror. She slaps you across the face like she did that cop. Yes, you know she. You know she Goals. slapped a cop. It was amazing. This is all news to me. Yeah, traffic stop. iconic. She's, yeah, oh he was talking. He was treating her like shit, so she fucking hauled off and slapped him. Yo. Wow, <laughs> incredible. Sounds about white. Yeah, I was just say, it plays yeah. into what you were talking about earlier, yeah. like how, yeah. like it's cool that she slapped him, but she was white. Yep. Yeah. So she like paid a fine. You know, the last time my mom got pulled over, she pisses me off because she looks just like this little old white woman and it's like endearing. And the cop was like, you know, ma'am, you ran that stop sign. And she was like, did I? And he was like, well, I mean, I think you did. Oh. Mom, fuck you. She didn't get out of here. <laughs> he was like, I mean, ma'am, I, th- I think you ran the red light. Oh, honey, I don't know. I, I've lived here 27 years. Oh, I know God. that there's a stop sign She's there. Them over. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So, what do you guys think, though? Like, far as like, do you th- do you think they're responsible for like the shitty f- well, follow ups after, or is it just like you can't uh, that- you can't blame the good quality and goodness of three on the rest of the, on four, five, and six? Fuck you for saying <laughs> that there's shitty follow ups after, and I know that we disagree about this, but Nightmare on Elm Street four. I love it. I it love is so movie. fucking queer. Yeah. yeah, I think that it is a which is a whole other episode. I'm not going to go there. Well, it, it's long it's time. literally about identity and self actualization. So there are plenty of other installments of this movie that are worth watching, and I love that this movie. I think is directly responsible for it. So maybe yes, I agree with you, but I you don't disagree look with at your it feeling negatively. About it. I think yeah. it. But, I think it births something beautiful. But also, <laughs> and the, we would not have had the new nightmare we have now if it had been made instead. Absolutely. Because the new nightmare we got was because of what came out of well, part absolutely. three. Absolutely, I love yeah. it. I love that we got new nightmare from part three. And I'm not a fan of four, five, and six. I haven't seen them all in a while. But I'm not a fan of like super duper comedy, Freddy. I think it's yeah. the movies are more fun. You don't actually. like Freddy on a on a broomstick. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of that, but, <laughs> no, but look, this, bless you for trying. The seeds of that have been present in the franchise since part one. Think of the part in the alley when he's stretching his arms out yeah. to True. freak out Tina. Think of the part where he chops off his own fingers like this. I mean, I guess God. it plays differently because like, you hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, no, it's it, new. It's and definitely it's different. It's darker and scarier, but he's toying with his victims like a cat with a mouse yeah he, he does these th- he pulls off his own face at one point true. and his skull's like blah, 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 with a little tongue <laughs> that's true good call based on age though this is really interesting because for me i grew up my my intro to freddy was those commercials the 900 number freddy oh god yeah and like the oh cereal and the toy that you press the button my friend had one like i knew freddy as like a comedy icon yeah uh-huh. and so when well, i went when back and rented exactly and that was my entry point so when i first f- first saw part one i was super disappointed because i was like that's not freddy so for oh. some of us, later Freddy was. Isn't that interesting? Because it's kind of like Russ Craven would be like, "Well, Sam, that was the first one." Oh, and now I obviously <laughs> I live for part one. But, but, but no, but I know what you mean. Reaction yeah. to it, yeah, yeah. That's why, like anyone that says usually says that Scream Three is their favorite in the Scream franchise, it's because that's the first one they saw. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody says that though. <laughs> <laughs> there's a handful. Um, okay, so. I mean, there's a lot more I wanted to talk about, but we're getting close to the end. But I do want to talk. I do want to play a clip about <clears throat> Freddy's Genesis. Oh God! Okay. What was this place? Purgatory, fashioned by the hands of men, I love it. twisted 
lonely souls. Love the music. The worst of the criminally insane. It's so gothic. We're locked up in here like so animals. This whole facility was shut down in the 40s, wasn't it? Some sort of scandal? The young girl on the staff was accidentally locked in here over the holidays. Oh, a young boy drowned. Inmates kept her hidden <laughs> for days. She was raped hundreds of times. When they found her, she was barely alive. And with child. That girl was Amanda Kruger. Her child, Freddie. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Such a great line. Bastard son of a hundred maniacs. That is really good. So, I mean, I don't really have much to say here, really have a discussion, but I just felt like we needed to play that clip because it is such a fucking bonkers, like, almost like, I don't want to say a retcon, because they're not taking away anything that Wes created mm-hmm. in the first movie. They're just kind of taking the backstory back even further, mm-hmm. but necessary. <laughs> Question I mark? so much. <laughs> and it's so funny because I just saw it, right? Because I'm watching it for this, and yet I forget that that's there. Because mm-hmm. in my head, it's like, boop, on that button. That's all I hear. Because I don't need, I don't need a rape that results in a monster. Yeah. Um, you know what happens when a woman gets impregnated by a rape? There's a baby that needs taken care of, and that's not a, any more of a monster. Like, I don't know. It's like this, the creation of that being mm-hmm. the creation of Freddy? No. I mean, I get the intention, but they're wrong. <laughs> that's a really good point i think the the arch like craziness of that line is interesting as a curio but yeah the actual like intention behind it is really painful and what do you think Nye? rough oh i mean unfortunately i was thinking about georgia and like mm. criminalizing abortion and and miscarriages and at and this mis- point and miscarriages mm. uh-huh. and how yeah Anyway, it took me down a really sad path. I mean, if anything, there's a way to look at this hundred uh, son of a th- hundred maniacs as like a pro-choice. Had she like aborted uh, that baby? <laughs> no, Freddie. Uh, oh, I, I will say there is in a following scene. Uh, in a scene that follows that, Nancy does say the line. Um, she says, "Assuming your mysterious nun is right," and that line is camp. You could wear that line to the Met Gala. <laughs> so great, mysterious nun. Um, also, right. her look at the funeral, though. I'm sorry, I know we're wrapping up, but oh, like, it's amazing. Serving looks it's like left Joan and right. fucking of Collins. Camp. I can't believe she had the audacity oh, to totally... show up in like that wool cape, yeah. like wrapped around that full costume hat. designer. Had everything the Nancy. night before they designed that the costume designer watched dynasty <laughs> Dallas, <laughs> falcon crest in the fucking colby's dynasty t- dallas 2 or whatever the, the spinoff was yes. all right speaking of nancy we do need to talk about her a little bit so we might run a little long but like her return is like amazing right oh, yeah. like it's such a smart decision Absolutely. and how they yeah. chose to have her character enter felt very natural and it actually mm-hmm. felt natural to who she was previously mm. um and I, I was looking for just stuff back from when the movie came out, trying to find stuff. And, like, I mean, I would have to say that has to be – she had to be a big reason why the movie was such a success, right? Like, financially, do you think? Do you think it had – three years later, Heaven Lagenkamp was such a known name to the general? Because if you're making $45 million on a slash movie in 1987, that's got crossover appeal. That's not just horror fans going to see mm-hmm. that movie. Well, I don't think it's Heather Lagenkamp. I think it's Nancy. 
And that's well, that's what Wes Craven's New Nightmare is about. It's about Heather Langenkamp isn't doesn't really exist in the culture, but Nancy is this huge icon. Do you icon. think it was kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis with Halloween last year? Do you think it had on a less grand scale? Do you think that's why people saw it? I don't know. It's just like mm. a question I've mm. always wondered, like why it blew up in part three. Well, Jamie Lee Curtis is Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Heather Langenkamp is not Jamie Lee Curtis. True. I mean, she's wonderful. but she's only I three. Wish she was. She's only three years removed from the first film at this point, though. I mean, did they tout her return? You think? Like, I was trying to find so I much know. shit. It opened yeah. at number one. It made ten million dollars. It's opening weekend. Like. Was it the special effects? I mean, Patricia Arquette wasn't known yet. Like three years, and she was sporting such a mom look. I, I was so into that. When Sorry, you know, you Heather Langenkamp, Nancy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like going she would have been like twenty three. Well, she yes. said in the movie at one point. She's I think she said maternal. six years ago her friends yeah, all died, so she's supposed to be like twenty three, maybe twenty four. Yeah, but yeah, sporty mom look. Yeah, but if we're looking at um, slasher franchises or even just horror franchises in general, I mean, Friday Thirteenth kills off. Um, our final girl immediately in part two. Mm-hmm. We have, um, we do have Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween one and two, but then nothing further. So I think that like having a part three where we thought, especially a disappointing part two, where it's like, God, will well, they ever the come thing. back? Can you imagine if when studios poured that much money and like even more money into a sequel, it actually delivered? Mm-hmm. That happened here. Well, and that's the thing, and that's usually what happens is like this: the the sequel usually performs based on people's feelings of the previous film. Yes. Mm-hmm. So people hate it too. Mm-hmm. So for three to like make twice as much money huh. and be critically adored is pretty wild, Cause especially in '87, because the slasher genre was pretty much dead at that point. I mean, Jason Six. Uh, part like Friday Thirteenth Part Six had come out by then and only did like fifteen million. I don't know if Part Seven hadn't been released yet, but by eighty seven, like all the franchises were kind of dead. Halloween hadn't returned yet, but it returned the next year and only made like eighteen million bucks. Well, so for it to make forty five million bucks, I'm like just curious. I wish I could have found something. Well, first off. People didn't hate Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Americans did. But in the UK, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 came out before Nightmare on Elm Street 1. And it That's was, what you said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and it wasn't universally hated. And I think it depends on what your access point was, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah. I don't but think to people make 45 came for million domestically. Oh, absolutely. Off of a disappointing feeling of two is huge. Your point is you still think there. It was I just always want to step it up and let people know. Because I think that <laughs> like with part... Yeah. I am. I don't. I don't think it was Nancy. I think it was Freddy. I think we'd never gotten a Freddy before. And I think everybody looked at that and they were like, how the fuck do we crack this? And that's why we got Hello, Mary Lou. That's why we got Leprechaun. That's why we got all these talking, terrible talking characters. Uh, 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 of them. Yeah. Because Freddy's the only one who nailed it. Because Freddy is a drag queen. Freddy <laughs> was doing a performance and he could do multiple characters. But nobody else quite got that magic. And that's what three... Well, and, and then, well, did. and then three like up the fuck of the budget. Like, yes. like it was like I think one was like one and a half. I think part two was like maybe two, and then three was thirteen point five. I think. But I think it's the thing you're hesitant about, I, like the Freddy factor. The thing that well, gave no, that's what I mean. Is it the Freddy factor? You I, think? It's just wild. It's like really interesting when you're doing research on it. Realize like how big this movie actually was. Like, not just in the franchise, but like in cinema that year as a whole. It's pretty cool. And then four made even more money than three. Yeah, wasn't it the highest grossing entry in a slasher franchise until like Freddy versus Jason? Uh, until Scream. Wow. Until Scream. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Scream and Scream 2 were one and two until Halloween came out. Yeah. Lovely. Interesting. Um, all right. One more thing about Nancy and then we should wrap it up. What do you feel about her dying? How do you feel about her dying? I don't like it. 
<laughs> personally. I mean, I think it makes sense to the story. I think it was supposed to be meant as like a passing of the torch. And I think they thought Patricia Arquette would take over the franchise at that point, but then fucking didn't let her do part four because she was pregnant. Um, I don't know if that was a filmmaker decision or hers, but I'm going to choose to think it was the patriarchy. <laughs> right. um, so I get kind of why. I don't know if I couldn't find if uh, Heather Langenkamp said, kill me. I don't want to do any more of these, but I'm not a fan. You just mentioned Friday part two. I'm not a, I'm, I'm totally cool with like the Randy Meeks of it all, like dying midway through scream two as like a supporting character. But when I don't like when franchises kill off their lead, it really bums me out. Yeah, that is, it is really nihilistic. It it's is a, a thing hard of death, like, too. you can survive this horrible trauma, but it's still always going to claim you. Your and fate that's is death. that's kind of the narrative always. that yeah. accidentally happens through these. And yeah. that is, that is brutal. I also I don't think Nancy would fall for that. No. I don't not think she girl. would believe that that's her dad. Not yeah. a woman who would wear that to a funeral. No, she would not fall <laughs> for that. And then would fight in a pink sweater and gray sweatpants. Girl had what it. the fuck is going on. <laughs> They're wrong. And in our in our version, because that's she is alive. And that's why New Nightmare works so well. I mean, it does work so well because he brought her back from the dead. I do think that's a, a misconception. in that one. God, she I fucking does. fucking love New Nightmare. To bring this Me back, and, I, and maybe it's just so easy because this is how we recorded them, but Kat Shea said about the Rage Carrie 2, the reason she killed Rachel was because there's something poetic about death. And that when you kill your, your characters like that, like she did with those two, that it means that or not those two because he survived, but that it, that it means their love is pure. It makes it something that you can look back at and say that ended there. So there's no question. And I think that with Nancy, maybe there's the idea that that's what's going on. She's a hero and she gets a hero's death, mm-hmm. but I don't fucking want that. And maybe as people who have done so much surviving and done so much fighting, what we want more than anything is to see people continue to live. Right. And like, why does it always have to be a sacrifice that makes you <sighs> like remembered or like the ultimate goodness is sacrificing well, yourself? Why can't you do that and live? If we're forgetting like geopolitical about it, isn't that just, you know, propaganda to get people to fight in war? Like a hero's death is an honorable True. one. You should desire this so you can go fight in our wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Nay? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. People, they want you to feel good about getting tricked into what they want Fighting to for think. Fighting for them, yeah. Yeah. And part of me feels good about the death because of how poetic it is. It and is And how it sets, up, sets it up for New Nightmare. But I also agree that when you are in communities who fight for survival, sometimes it just feels so cathartic to see someone fight and win or someone to work hard and succeed. And so, I mean, I had forgotten, I've seen this movie so many times and I had actually forgotten about the moment that she actually does stab him with his own claw, which is amazing. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I forgot about that. But like, just let, yeah. Reshoot it. Get her back in Patricia Arquette's arms and like let her flutter her eyes open and be like, I'm gonna make it or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just would have been so cool. And then she could go away. She doesn't <laughs> need to be in part four. Yeah, she could pull an Alice and just not show up in Freddy's Dead and yeah. be like, Peace. Yeah. I mean I don't know. It's disappointing when Yeah. When when that happens, but Pride Float? Yeah, let's do a rapid fire pride float. Does it get a pride float? No. Michael. I'm going to go, it doesn't get a pride float, but it is a sponsor of the pride parade. Okay. Yeah, it made, it made money. So, mm. <laughs> Sam? Yeah. No, but I love it. I love yeah, it too. No, look, it's I love so this great. movie too, but so I'm, cute. I'm glad we're kind of 
agreeing because i i'm also a no but call me for elm street 4 because i have some mm-hmm. thoughts um oh. one super fast question before we go mm-hmm. do you think the thai food in springwood is any good <laughs> <laughs> um no yeah that's what i thought absolutely that thai restaurant in, place to eat yeah that's it that thai restaurant in la that they were actually in though looked delicious mm-hmm. right <laughs> I love that the first three movies are in California, and then for some reason later in the series they decide it's Ohio that the movies are set in. Anyway, well, where can we find everybody, Sam? At Sam Weinman. Brennan? Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at QueerWolfPod. Find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands. Nene? I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter at Black Cupcake, and my art Instagram is Gotti Los Angeles. I should have asked you if you thought Nancy's death was yay or nay. <laughs> anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Ken Ken, and thank you for listening to us yet again, folks. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate you. Bye. 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 Bye.